Thank you, Christine. It was the, the German philosopher, Immanuel Kant, who said the following. Two things fill the mind with ever new and increasing wonder and awe. The more often and the more seriously reflection concentrates upon them. The starry heaven above me and the moral law within me. I should have put that quote up. I do apologise. Let me, let me read it again. Two things fill the mind with ever new and increasing wonder and awe. The more often and the more seriously reflection concentrates upon them. The starry heaven above me and the moral law within. The starry heaven above and the moral law within. That actually is what much of Psalm 19 is speaking about. And verses 1 to 6, it speaks of the plent, sorry, the splendor of the Lewis, considered it to be the greatest poem in the Psalms. Now that's purely subjective, isn't it? I'm sure you've got a favorite one as well, but according to C.S. Lewis, uh, this was the greatest poem in the Psalms and indeed one of the greatest lyrics in the whole world. And as we look at it this evening, I want us to consider three things. The first two, kind of thinking upon what, what Immanuel Kant says, and we will see God revealed in creation, and then we'll see God revealed in Scripture and His Word, before finally looking at God revealed in redemption. God revealed in creation. The psalm is written by David, who spent, as many of you will know, much of his early years out in the fields, looking after the sheep. And, and, and I'm sure often he must have just gazed up at the skies and the stars and just marveled at the creation of them. And so he tells us here that the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. And I, 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 Genesis 1 is clear that God created. And in a day and an age when it seems that evolution is the stated fact concerning the, the beginnings of the world, as Christians, we need to hold fast to the truth that God created. I challenge you, like David must have done many times, to go out in a clear night and look up at the sky. Or when you see a beautiful sunset and, and you just marvel at the sheer beauty and, 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 and the wonder of it all. That is the heavens declaring the glory of God. And of course, as 
I often say it's not the creation that we worship, it is the creator, but such beauty. Such beauty enables us to do so. Remember the first time that I was probably really was caught up in that. Um, forgive me if I've told you before, it was many, many years ago uh, when I when I worked as a sales rep and I actually was travelling back down from Inverness. And I came down the A9 and, and, and the sun was just setting. And the sky was just ablaze with oranges and purples and it was stunning. I had to pull in to the lay-by and, 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 and just gaze. It was the days before mobile phones, so I can Well, it was the days when your mobile phone was about this kind of size and I never had a camera, but it was just amazing. Amazing. Children's Chorus tells us, doesn't it, the rivers are his, the mountains are his, the stars are his handiwork too. And Psalm 8, also written by David, tells us, O Lord, you have set your glory above the heavens. When I consider your heavens, when I consider the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set into place. It's a wonderful hymn and the line on the hymn. Digressing from my notes, but I was amazed by, by the line of that verse that says, hands that flung stars into space to cruel nails surrendered. Wow. Wow. God in creation. As I said this morning, we, we were away for a few days last week up in the far north west coast, east coast, west coast of Scotland, and, and, and just the rivers and the mountains and, and, and the lochs and the beaches and the starry, starry nights were, were, were astounding, so beautiful, all created by God. We, we, we could only drive five minutes and then Susan would say, stop, I need a picture, stop. A ten-minute journey ended up taking about two hours, like just stunning, stunning. You know, the Gettys have got it so right in one of those. Creation sings the Father's song. He calls the sun to wake the dawn and run the course of day till evening falls in crimson rays. Hallelujah, let all creation stand and sing. Hallelujah, fill the earth with songs of worship. Tell the wonders of creation's king. And notice two things that David tells us here in regards to God and creation. Firstly, verse 2, it is continuous. Notice what he says, day after day, night after night. God did not just kind of sit, create, sit back and kind of then just let things go. I, I, I was trying to think of an illustration of that, but like um, when our girls were younger, they, they, they often got a treat, not often, but they got a treat of a Happy Meal. Um, and sometimes in, in, in the Happy Meal, and this is a bit of a bone of contention, I'll get in trouble when I get home, but sometimes in, in, in the, the, the Happy Meal, you got these little toys that you, 
that you wound up, then you put down and you just let go and then they, 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 they kind of stop. Well, seemingly they're worth a lot of money now and we just left all the ones back in Glasgow. But, but God didn't do that with creation. He didn't just set it up and then, no. Day after day, night after night, Every new day, every new sunrise, every new sunset, as a line from that song that I just quoted says, He, God, calls the sun to wake the dawn and run the course of day till evening falls in crimson rain. Hallelujah. Then notice from verses 3 and 4 that it is, for, for want of a better word, kind of universal. He said, David says here, there is no speech, there is no language where it is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. By sight rather than sound, the message of God's glory rings out. Right across the whole world. The very existence of creation, the skies and the stars and everything else clearly implies the existence of a creator. In verses 5 and 6, David gives, if you like, a lovely description of the sunrise and the sunset. He, he, he speaks of it there, of, of being like a bridegroom coming forth speaks of an athlete running the race of, of how it rises at one end and, 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 and it closes closes sorry at, at the other the, the first image that he gives us there of a bridegroom that kind of speaks if you like of glory because kind of most grooms in those days were richly attired and, and, and the second speaks, uh, an athlete speaks of power and, and kind of a time of joy. He faces a new day and a time of determination that he, in that day he will reach the goals of that day. It's not a bad point to take into every day, is it? Awaken every new day with joy like, like a bridegroom would anticipate his marriage. You ever seen a Groom on the day of his wedding, I did a wedding yesterday, and the guy was so excited. And also, not just the joy of the bridegroom, but the determination of the athlete to get through it, to get through the day, to reach the goals, to achieve, declare the glory of God. And no matter how much scientists or atheists or whoever wish to deny and debunk it, we see here that the heavens declare the glory of God. They and everything else are his handiwork, continual and universal. Yet, we live in a day and age, don't we, when so many wish to either ignore it, deny it, debunk it, the whole idea of God as creator. And the reason that many do that, I believe, is that if you can do away with God from the beginning, then you can live as you like. That, that actually 
in part, is Paul's argument in Romans chapter 1. In verses 18 and 19, Paul writes this, Romans 1. Very, well, all of God's word is apt for any time, but particularly for our day and age. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the ungodliness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may, may be known about God is plain to them. It's plain to them. Because God has made it plain to them. How did God make it plain to them? Well, the verse goes on to say, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made. So that men are without excuse. Do you see how important creation is? God has revealed in creation, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the skies proclaim the work of his hands. God in creation. Secondly, we see God revealed in his work in Scripture. Verses 7 to 11, we see, or the, the kind of theme moves a little bit, not so much from, if you like, the sight of God in creation but the sound of God through his word. And while the heavens declare the glory of God, and, and, and is, as I said, it is truly amazing to see God and God's work in creation. And that's where his word comes in. Because God is not just the God of power, but of personal revelation. And in these verses, we see more of him and more of his purposes for us as set out in his word. And as we read verses 7 to 11, we see in these verses that David uses at least five different words for, for, for God's word. Um, those that, that come along to, to the growth group that, 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 that I'm involved in will know this from Psalm 119. Uh, but here he does much the same. In relation to the word of God, he uses five different words that all really amount to the same. He speaks of the law, he speaks of the statutes, he speaks of the precepts, he speaks of the commandments, and he speaks of the, the, <coughs> excuse me, the, the ordinances. The writer of Psalm 119, as I says, does the same. But look carefully down at your Bible at these verses, because notice what we are told here concerning the word of God. And, and all I want to do here, I, I just want God's word to speak for itself. So, so, so follow along with me as, 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 as we look at these verses. Firstly, notice what he said. It is perfect. It can be done to improve it. It is perfect. Secondly, it revives the soul. Where? Where do you, you look to be revived? Forget caffeine. It revives the soul. Thirdly, it is trustworthy. 
That is, you can 100% rely on it. We, we sang early, I will stand on every promise of your word. We can trust this book. Fourthly, it makes wise the simple. That is, those who, who in, in childlike trust put their trust in God. Paul tells us, doesn't he? That, that is scripture that makes us wise unto salvation. Fifthly, if you're still following along with me, it, it is right. It, it, it brings joy to the heart. As I was thinking on that, even as I was going over this this afternoon, it brings joy to the heart. Does that describe your Bible reading? Joy. Joy. Or, 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 or do you kind of see it as, as something like, I kind of just need to get this done. Indeed, I, I read the report about six or seven months ago now, but actually... And, and it was a survey, and yeah, you can do anything with surveys, I appreciate that. But the amount of Christians that admitted that they don't spend time in God's word every day was quite frightening. I, I trust you have, at some point in the day, a quiet time, or whatever you want to call it. And when you read God's word, does it bring joy to you? Sixthly, sixth one. It's radiant. It gives light to our eyes. It, it is in God's word that, that we find direction. Seventhly, it is sure and altogether righteous. Eighthly, it is, it is more precious than gold, even pure gold. So take your choice. Psalmist is saying it's more precious. More precious than gold. Uh, pure gold, not just, I don't know if you can get cheap gold, but pure gold. Is it that precious to you? Ninthly, it's sweeter than honey. And tenthly, in keeping them, there is great reward. Wild in his word revives us and saves us and guides us. His word is perfect and it's true and it's right and it's sure and it's precious and it's sweet. I think I mentioned this before. It's coming to mind, but forgive me. I think I mentioned that prayer, I mean, a, a little chorus that, that we used to sing and, and everybody was puzzled. I never heard of it. I went home and Susan said that she never had heard of it either. But it just said this. What a wonderful treasure. The word of God without measure. We will travel together. My Bible and I. Do you treasure God's word the way that David speaks here? It's precious. It is sweet. It revives. It leads. It guides. And when we read it, how do we respond to such revelation? We hold fast 
to the promises that it makes. Like the psalmist, does it revive us? Does it bring us joy? Does it make us wise? Is it, is it our delight? Or do we rather half-heartedly read it not really expecting God to speak to us, to reveal himself through it? As I said, one of the uh, full sets of commentaries that, that, that I, I have at home is, is, is it's, a very, it's a very readable kind of commentary series. It is, it's not highly academic, but, but that's all right. Um, and it, it's just quite simply called The Bible Speaks Today. Do, do we believe that the Bible speaks today? <coughs> God speaks to us through his word. God revealed in creation. God revealed in scripture. Finally, God revealed in redemption. The psalm in these final verses, if you like, turns quite personal. Notice what, what, what David says. He asks, who can discern his errors? Who can forgive my hidden faults? Then I will be blameless. You see, really, what all of this is heading towards, brothers and sisters, is that what we see in creation of God and what we read in Scripture about God is all designed to bring us into a personal relationship with God. The writer to the Hebrews tells us that in these last days he, God, has spoken to us by his Son. And it is in him and it is through him that we can know redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. The word has done its work in bringing the psalmist to the point of acknowledging his sin and seeking to serve and please God. That's what we should pray every time God's word is praised. That the spirit of God would take the word of God and use it to convict and to convert, to challenge and to encourage and, 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 and to pick us up and to revive us. And like so many of the Psalms, as, as David reflects on all of this, God in creation, God in scripture, he finishes with the theme of praise and of prayer when he says at the end of the psalm, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. May everything I say, may everything I think, be pleasing to you. What a prayer. That our words and our thoughts might be pleasing, might bring pleasure to the God. Yes, the God of all creation and the God who reveals in Scripture, but the God who he defines here at the end as his rock and his redeemer. Is that how you see the Lord this evening? Is that how you know the Lord this evening? As your rock? As your redeemer? 
you know, all of you know your Bibles well, and you know that the idea of, of, of Redeemer, especially in the Old Testament, referred to what was known as, as, as the kinsman Redeemer, that is, someone who, who, who could rescue a relative from a difficult situation. If you think on the book of Ruth and, 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 and of Boaz, he was how Jesus is our kinsman Redeemer of how Jesus has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Hebrews 9, chapter 12, speaks of Jesus having obtained eternal redemption. And Peter speaks of having been redeemed, not by, by, by silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. Jesus, my Redeemer. Name above all names, precious Lamb of God, Messiah. Oh, for sinners slain. Oh, Lord, my Redeemer. It speaks, doesn't it, of salvation. And then he goes on, because he's never finished the psalmist, he goes on, not just, oh, Lord, my Redeemer, which speaks of salvation, but then he says, oh, Lord, my rock, which speaks of security. And again, often in the Old Testament, and indeed in many of, of the Psalms, God is described as a rock. God is described as a place of refuge. God is described as a place of safety. Indeed, the opening verses of the previous Psalm, Psalm 18, bear that out. Notice what he says, just flick it over. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge. He is my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold, rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. You know, to see something of God in creation is great. To see more of God in his word is even greater. But to know him as rock and Redeemer is the greatest of all.